Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. Welcome to the eighth of our weekly podcast for practice managers. This is a recording of the webinar run on Wednesday the 20th of May. So I'm delighted to say Carol um, Cusack is here to um, lead us off in giving us a bit of a national and overall update. So over to you, Carol. All right. Thanks, Louise. Um, I don't think anybody um, uh, can't have escaped your notice. We're, we, we've sort of moved into a phase two part of um, the pandemic now. And we're, um, we're sort of, I think all of us sort of feeling our way through quite gently. Um, let me firstly say to you, we know it's not easy. Um, it's it's not easy for anybody. It's not easy um, for any of um, primary care or the hospitals or the community or anybody else. This is something we've not come across before. And so sort of clawing our way back to some sort of whatever that new normal is going to look like. It's not easy. So please don't beat yourselves up thinking it's just you um, and you're certainly not alone. Um, we're struggling, too. I've got to say that. OK. So um, you are going to be asked, as hospitals and community are as well, um, to start looking at um, going back to some sort of routine um, type of work, starting to provide services that you've been putting on hold. Now, um, we do know that the funding is still going to continue to flow in the way it has for your global sum, your coffee des, your leses and things. Don't worry about that. That isn't, you're not going to suddenly be um, told, well, you haven't achieved, you're not getting paid. We are, you know, the, the GPC is working on that with NHS England. At the moment, they're talking to the end of June. Um, that that funding will continue to flow, will continue to be based either on history or on actual, whichever is the higher. So again, don't, don't worry too much about that. Leave that with us. We will keep we will keep the pressure on. So where we're looking at the moment now is that you know you have introduced so many innovations over the last couple of months. I mean, I think when we do get a chance to stop and take stock. I think we everybody is just going to be absolutely amazed at what's gone on over the last couple of months or so. The problem we've now got, of course, is that we've still got all the um, implications of COVID, um, but you're also being asked to, to return to some sort of routine normality um, and catch up with things like spinal screening, which we're going to talk about in a minute, um, and it will be some of your long term conditions, your medication reviews and things like that. And of course, a lot of you who would have probably started to recruit under the ARRS scheme haven't been able to because of this. And but you're, you're still being asked to start that work again. Again, um, you can only do what you can do. And whilst we're saying to you, and whilst NHS England and public health and everybody else is saying, come on, guys, we need to start um, catching up again, you can only do what you can do with the capacity you've got. And we don't want you to start getting stressed by this. You know, there's enough stress out there. Um, let's, let's, not, let's not add to it. So what you're being asked to do um, is to start looking at how you can reintroduce some of the services that, that you always did as a matter of routine. So, um, you know, as I've, I mean, I've already mentioned some of them, but what we've got to look at is also maintaining some sort of um, 
process that we can actually reintroduce a full-on um, pandemic response if need be. There is no evidence that another peak will happen. Unfortunately, there's no evidence that it won't. And so we're in this bit of a dilemma at the moment where we're saying we need to maintain some hot sites. We need to maintain, you know, staff in the way that they've been working to make sure we can react if we need to. But at the same time, we also want staff to be doing different things. So we know this is a dilemma for a lot of you. We know it's going to be very, very difficult. The community trust where a lot of the hot sites have been in some areas are saying, actually, we want our clinic room rooms back. We need to redeploy our staff back into their normal job. We know this is all going on. The GPC knows it's all going on. NHS England does. So as I say, start to look at what you can reintroduce. Don't kill yourselves. Don't beat yourselves up if it doesn't happen quickly. It's it's not likely to. Okay. Um, what I'm going to um, talk to you about today, I'm a very quick thing around PCSC. We are going to talk a bit about CQC, bless them, uh, NHS digital, cervical screening, flu, uh, risk assessments and care homes. We're going to cover those um, very speedily for you, but obviously put your questions in if, if you've got any. Um, one of the things I ought to say before we really start is a lot of you I know absolutely read Nigel's newsletters cover to cover, as do we. Um, and I'm sorry about his dyslexia, but just sometimes he defeats us. Um, but um, and that is true, by the way, for those of you who don't know him, Nigel does um, have uh, the, the, uh, a very mild form of dyslexia. So sometimes words are quite what they mean. Sometimes. Um, um, some of his typos were a little bit iffy as well, but he gets so carried away and sends it out before we can do anything about it. But we can all make sense of it, so that's good. Um, the one he sent out on the 18th of May about the primary care network, DES. We um, discussed as a team whether or not we ought to give you some sort of steer on that because you've got until the 31st of May and take no notice of those areas that are saying it had to be by Wednesday tonight. It doesn't. It's 31st of May for your PCN to make its mind up whether it wants to continue with the DES. Um, practices were a little bit, you know, they'd seen sort of things in the press saying it's not a good thing to do. Don't do it. We're not steering you. We are not recommending anything. What Nigel's paper did was to show you what your options were and what it meant for you. Um, I think, I don't think I can say much fairer than that, but there was a tiny little error on it. And that was on the first page where it's got the PCN funding list. Um, so it's got about the £1.50 um, and then the CD money and the 0.27 for COVID. Further on down, under the additional roles reimbursement, it's got dependent on staff employed. That should have had a bracket next to it saying weighted because the rest of it is not weighted, but that is. So it's based on patient weighted data. So for those of you who are getting all excited and thought, oh, we can get an extra member of staff in here, unfortunately, you can't. So we have altered it on the website and we've altered it in the newsletter, but we're not going to reissue it just for one word. Um, so I hope that's all right. So 
just before I move on to actual operational stuff, just to say the so that you don't have to keep asking the question and you don't have to worry about it. The GPC has agreed that if you are being asked to return to some sort of a normality and start to do work for the QAF and the long term conditions and the med reviews, they believe that those are essential services, but then having to do COVID on top of it, COVID has been the essential service up until for the last couple of months, because that's all you've been asked to do. They're saying COVID will now be over and above. And so they are negotiating with the Treasury, with the Department of Health, with NHS England, that there should be some funding to run a sort of dual service. I don't know what that will look like. We've got no idea, but do keep your um, spreadsheets going where you're spending extra money in order to manage COVID. So um, I'll go on to the operational issues. The first thing I wanted to mention to you was about um, Primary Care Support England, so PCSE um, and the performers list. I think it's been reported all over the place that the performers list, which is now online, is going to be available to you to start checking checking that your GPs are on there correctly, um, that new uh, GPs coming on and, and GPs retiring, that you'll be able to do all of that online. They had hoped for that to be out in the last couple of weeks. It is apparently taking a little bit longer. We are now expecting it out sometime in the next two to three weeks. But PCSE have promised that they will send some comms out to let you know when it's fully available. But I would still urge you to make sure that somebody in the practice, probably yourself, um, can access it and you've registered to access it and that each of your GPs has actually checked their own entry on there. Um, next thing I want to talk about is um, CQC. Again, you will have probably seen in lots of the rags, if you've had a chance to look at them, that CQC are introducing what they're calling their emergency support framework. This is a telephone check that is going to come to probably the majority of practices. Um, we haven't got a huge amount of detail about it yet. They're saying it's supportive. I'm not going to comment. And what it is, it's around governance and assurance during the COVID period. So it will relate in the main to what you've done in terms of COVID. And one of the things that has been said is that they will ask you, for instance, about PPE and has it been difficult to obtain and stuff like that. And they're supposed to be feeding that back. Um, my worry is if they then say, if you hadn't got enough PPE, how did you see patients? How did you manage? I'd be a little bit concerned about that, but we've got to wait and see. We haven't had any that have happened yet that we're aware of, but we'll keep on top of it. So just so as you know, there are going to be four domains that they will talk to you about. The first being safe care and treatment. The second one, staffing arrangements. The third one, protection from abuse. And the fourth one is assurance processes, including monitoring and risk. And within each of the domains, there's going to be six questions. They are going to advertise and publish these very shortly. But in the meantime, I said, just give me one flavour. And the first flavour they gave me was around safe care and treatment. And they said within that, 
they would talk to you about infection control. So obviously in terms of COVID, you probably had to do more cleaning. You know, if, if a patient's proved to be symptomatic, you've had to close down a waiting room or, or a surgery in its entirety or whatever. So it'll be that type of thing. Again, PPE, as I mentioned just before, environmental changes. I'm not 100% sure what they mean by that, whether it means have you had your patients seen elsewhere, whether it's about hot and cold sites, not really clear yet, but we'll wait and see what that means. Changes in system and processes is sort of fairly obvious that you've stopped doing routine work and you've concentrated on, um, on the COVID um, pandemic. Um, meds management not quite sure what they mean about that and then risk assessment but again relating to covid so this is not in place of full inspections although they're temporarily on hold it's also not in place yet of what they call the ars the the annual review um so we're not really sure exactly whether it's replacing something or, or whether it's alongside um, or just on a temporary basis. Hopefully, when we get the information published, we'll know an awful lot more and we'll be able to tell you a lot more. And you'll see it yourselves anyway, because they're going to publish it to everybody. But we will do a lot of um, checking. Just while I'm on this, we heard just this morning um, that... Uh, a GP practice in Gloucestershire was phoned by somebody saying they were a CQC inspector and that they were making this phone call and they wanted information about the staff working in the practice. Um, the receptionist who took the call was a bit skeptical about this and passed it to the practice manager who immediately spotted the fact that all they were asking about was members of staff this could not be right and so um refused to to take the call any further i have to say some of my colleagues across the country have said what a fantastic way to get rid of cqc let's all say we don't believe it you are who you say you are and refuse to take the call um, i'm not sure how well that would go down might be worth a go but um so that that's where we are at the moment we'll just have to wait and see what what this brings forth um i, I am interested that they're calling it an emergency support framework let's see how much support we actually get from them through it um next thing i wanted to talk to you about was the nhs digital um you've all had your uh Invitation, I love the word invitation because it doesn't mean invitation at all, does it? To sign up to CQRS um, for them to collect data remotely in terms of COVID. I'm afraid it has been classed as one of the you must sign up. It's reasonable for um, NHS Digital to ask you to do that and for NHS England, Public Health England to have that information. So you don't have a choice. So you might as well just do it. Um, we know some people have sent it to their data protection officers to check. There is actually a template within the sign up that you have to add to your, I don't know if it's to your privacy impact or just to your statement. I can't remember which one it is, but have a look at it. Once you've done that, you're covered. Um, the other thing we've heard from NHS Digital, and, and I know some people, some practices are happy about this and some aren't, um, 
we've been asked in the past, how do we know if patients have been tested and whether they're negative or positive? And um, some practices have said, we don't want to know because then it puts the onus on us to do something about it. Our understanding is that it's still down to the labs to notify patients, but in around four weeks time, NHS Digital will have set it up so that that result also comes directly to you and into that patient's record. You do not have to do anything. You did not order the test. You did not take the test. So therefore, it is still down to the labs to notify the patients and obviously for the patients or whoever else um, is managing their care to do whatever's necessary. But they are being given um, self-care information. If it's felt that they need it, CCAS, the COVID um, Clinical Assessment Service, is doing the necessary triage and talking to those patients and explaining what happens. You will get very little involvement in that. It's those one in 500 appointments you were supposed to make available on a work list so that you could re-triage if necessary. That's where they would come if necessary. We understand they are very far and few between. Um, and the last thing I wanted to talk to you about, but Michelle's going to expand on the actual process, but I just wanted to mention about cervical screening. Yet another scam has been um, uh, alerted to us where women are receiving text messages saying your cervical screening um, test is overdue. They are given a mobile number to phone that should alert straight away because there's no way a mobile number will be used. And they're asked for some personal details. Um, that is not that is not going to happen. Women will continue to receive letters about their screening. And we know you're being you know, you're being asked now to start catching up with cervical screening. And, and I believe a letter's gone out this morning from Public Health England um, to some of our areas, not all of them yet. The reason they're starting now is the worry is if, if we don't and they start to send the letters out, given their research and their uh, knowledge of how women behave, um, the peak for wanting cervical screening will hit right in the middle of the flu season in November. So they're basically saying, if you can get a march on this now, hopefully we won't have um, the quite the peak in, in uh, requests coming up, coming up in November. And we, we have added some information to our website about um, how you can safely undertake smears and again what that would um, mean for the women we do know some will be reluctant to come in some will probably choose to defer but um, Michelle do you want to come in there and um, mention about the letter and, and what we've been talking about in terms of safety so I think you know every, some people have received this letter this morning or yesterday outlining that um, the invitations let, invitation letters were ceased on the 6th of April and are due to restart in June. Um, and there's a statement in there that says you are unable to defer, use a deferral reason around COVID as you have done in the past and therefore you need to restart taking cervical smears. I think 
you know, there are there may be some practices who have the ability to do that um, and are um, able to undertake these using PPE and following various guidance around that. However, we're also very aware that um, the whole process around most things now are going to take longer and more members of staff and also you might have workforce that are um, off sick or not in the practice for whatever reason. So there are going to be challenges that practices may have in implementing what you're being asked of and recognising that something that might take 20 minutes now might take 40 minutes because of all the cleaning and the PPE um, and also the cleaning that happens in between um, patients. Also, you might need additional members of staff. So something that might have only had one member of staff might take two members of staff. So I think really what we're saying is, as Carolyn said, you can just do your best. If you've got issues around capacity and workforce and premises, then we would suggest you need to raise that with the CCG and have a conversation and start to look at within your PCN how you might work with other practices. And, uh, and we would be happy to help with some of those conversations with the CCG if there are issues. I think that's and, and just yeah and and just to say Michelle that we have raised this directly with the general practitioners committee of the BMA because we feel it's actually putting extra pressure on we can understand why it's a bit like the childhood hymns we we don't want to increase death rates of of women from cervical screening and and it and it's known that the the program is very very successful so we can understand why public health england are keen to reintroduce it but there's got to be an understanding there's got to be a recognition as well that setting targets um, is a bit of a nonsense because everybody can only do what they can do so the gpc well aware of this and are having those conversations so you know again don't beat yourselves up, don't stress about it, just be aware that it does seem to be one of the priority areas for, for reintroducing and restarting again. Um, I'm going to leave um, it with Michelle now, if that's all right. Um, um, you're going to talk a little bit about risk assessments and also about care homes, please. I'll do risk assessments first. So um, we know there are a number of different tools that have been shared tools, guidance, ranging from information that's on NHS employers. Um, and I know that Nikki Kahani and Ed Waller's uh, newsletter had information from the Faculty of Occupational Health and also Public Health have been carrying out a review on risk assessments for staff. And there's been, num there's been quite a bit of information that's been released and learning that's happened whilst we've been in COVID and therefore BAME has also been added as a um, uh, as a risk within uh, COVID. So what we've what we've done as an organisation is we've taken all of those documents and pulled together a synopsis of those which will be available to practices shortly um, but it, there's so much information out there and we know practices just want something that will help them undertake assessments for their staff. So hopefully the document that we're just finalising will help you help you with that. I don't think there's anything else on risk assessments. No, I think, I think the whole point was, we, we know about the BAME, um, sorry, Black and Minority Ethnics, just in case, um, and we know about males over 50, we know about underlying conditions and the stuff coming at you from all over the place. So what we decided to do was take the best of that and make it into one and you'll have one document which we hope should be out, it'll be out by the end of this week, possibly even later today or tomorrow. Um, the best of all of that 
into one. Therefore, you've got one place to look and it will give you everything that you need. Here's your challenge, care homes. Okay, so um, as Carol has mentioned, the guidance came out from um, Nigel around PCNs and some information about what the requirements are around um, the PCN DES. We all know that there's been much discussion about the care homes element to this and the service specs were um, reviewed and reduced. There's been further information come out around care homes and what um, practices and PCNs need to look at. Um, I know that there was a return that needed to happen. I think it was either, was it last week? I'm losing track of weeks. Um, Identifying a clinical lead or a clinician lead for um, each nursing home in um, PCNs. So I know there's a lot of confusion around what that means. And I think we're just trying to identify what the clinical lead will um, need to do for the nursing homes. I think we're, we're likening it to the named GP in a practice where actually it's having oversight. It's not taking clinical responsibility, but it's having an oversight of um, some of the areas that need to be put in place, particularly looking at the weekly check-in. Um, I'm not sure there's anything more to add. Is there anything else to add, Carol, that you'd like to pick up? I don't I don't think so. I think, you know, I think what we, you know, some of the stuff we've been hearing uh, is, you know, practice being pushed um, to re-register patients and various things like that. And that is not a requirement. Um, you know, as long as you uh, within your PCN have agreed who's looking after which care homes in which in which way, then that is entirely up to you. You do not have to re-register or change any registrations. I think that was a bit of a, a bit of an anomaly that that sort of got caught up with all of this um, incorrectly. And I think Nigel had put that in his, his recent newsletter and some guidance on what practices might want to consider. Yeah. Okay. I was actually just going to hand over to um, Lisa because we just thought we ought to say something a bit around flu. So everybody hopefully has had a chance to look at the flu letter, which, which has come out, or should I say the first flu letter. Um, a quick, quick, really quick recap on that. So they're asking um, GPs and pharmacies to review their flu orders to ensure that they have sufficient supplies. Um, the ambition is for a high uptake. So they're looking for a much higher uptake or to at least maintain um, last year's. Um, there are some concerns that flu season may coincide with a further peak in COVID and that potentially people could get COVID and flu simultaneously. And as Carol has said, cervical screening uptake may also go up towards uh, sort of November time. So we're looking and that is a very busy time and we are flagging that up as an issue. Um, the letter sets out the eligibility criteria. So just a quick run through on that, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Children aged two to 10 years, um, people aged six months to 65 years in the at-risk groups, pregnant women, those in long-stay residential care homes, carers, contacts of immunocompromised individuals, health and social care st staff employed by care homes and registered domiciliary care providers. Um, we are expecting further guidance on the programme expansion <clears throat> and we are looking for more guidance on how practices actually carry out the flu programmes in the context of social distancing. So we're talking to Nikki Osborne about how we can work together on some of that guidance. Um, <clears throat> I think that's probably about it for flu. Just to also, for one, I know it, this is not an issue for the vast majority of practices, but Public Health England have sought legal advice on the DARES 
and they are very clear that the over 65s must have the ATIV unless the QIV and only the QIVC if ATIV is unavailable. So uh, they are taking a hard line on that this year. Um, and I think the problem is, is Lisa, is when they talk about unavailable, they almost mean absolutely it's nowhere in the country, don't they? Um, you know, before we thought, well, if, if you run out in your practice, it's unavailable. That is not what they, the, the way they look at it, is it? It's much wider than that. Yeah. Can I just add in there, sorry, Helene and Dawn um, normally do um, uh, a really good document that pulls all of the information together, normally does a document that pulls all the information together. We did it last year, we did podcasts on flu, so I suspect we'll be doing something similar this year um, and just watch out for it. We'll let you know when it's um, available. Okay, Louise, um, that was all the sort of updates we felt that we really wanted to do. So if you want to start with the questions. Yeah, absolutely. So just because we just talked about care homes, should, so bearing on the PCN involvement, should practices with no care homes be involved in the workload if they can see there are, care, there are multiple care homes in other areas for other practices? That's really down to the PCN um, because it may well be that, you know, it depends, it depends how your PCN is set up, how you decide to run that. You're, if you, what you've got to remember is the PCN is only an extension of the practice. So it may well be that your PCN, every practice within it is happy to continue the way it was and that they'll just have some sort of, you know, lead person. And that lead person doesn't have to be a GP, by the way, could be a community matron, it could be anybody. So again, it's it's for negotiation and discussion within the PCN. Nobody can force you to do anything. It's all up for negotiation and obviously with our support if you get stuck. Okay, lovely. And isn't there a danger there's going to be conflicting advice to the care homes if you've got a number of different patients registered with a number of different GPs? Um, that shouldn't be the case because the work's not different. I mean, all, all, all that's happening is that, you know, you want to do structured medication reviews. That could be a clinical pharmacist, could be different clinical pharmacists. I mean, everybody's got their, their um, professionalism and um, will know what, what they're advising for individual patients. So it, that shouldn't be an issue. Okay. Um, just going back a little bit in your, the beginning of your talk, Carol, public health funding, is that included in protected funding? Right. There's, this is one where we've had some difficulties, I have to say. We wrote out about a month ago, maybe even six weeks ago when this first started, because we had um, we had the sort of uh, funding, the Global Sun, the Coif, the Des, the Les, all agreed that that will continue and either at current or last year's rates, depending on which is higher. So we wrote to all the local authorities and asked them for the same guarantee. So far, we've had a guarantee from Dorset. I think we've had a sort of tentative one from Portsmouth. It was a, the way they wrote it was a bit iffy, but I think that's what they meant. So we're using those now to go back to some of the others. We've had one or two that come back and said, but we pay on activity. So we've had to go back and say, but the activity has had to cease in order to deal with COVID. So we're, we're battling away on your behalf. We hope it will continue. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't really matter what Nikki Kanani and Ed Wallace say about that, because the local authorities, um, their funding comes through the local government 
um, and they are not necessarily held to account in the same way. So, but we are trying, we have got some agreement, so we will use those agreements to sort of pressure the others into doing the same. So we're, we're on it. Okay, thanks, Carol. Just one more on funding. Is Section 7A Childhood IMS programme protected funding? Does this come under NHSE? It's childhood IMS have got to continue. They should never have stopped. And therefore, it's not protected in the same way. You wouldn't, you, it will be based on the normal targets and what's in the SFE because it's a program that should not have stopped at all. I was just going to add, um, according to public health, um, there was a bit of a dip in activity earlier in the year, but IMS rates in the childhood programme are sort of comparable to last year, I believe. Um, so it looks like activity hasn't been too badly affected. Okay, there's a little bit of chat, and I wonder if I can bring Helene in. Um, Helene, there's chat about what about if the parents are very nervous bringing the children in for their IMS, and um, I guess that's to do with hot, cold sites and that sort of thing. So, Helene, I wonder if you could unmute yourself and just have a just give us a sort of a clinical point of view. What would you would recommend? I think it's about reassuring them really that you know um, if a child develops COVID, it's, it's unlikely, and they often are not as unwell as older people. Um, I think it comes back to the organisation of the clinics as well, having designated clinics. So, for example, first child IMS could be given at the same time as the postnatal checks. Um, there's the whole thing about, you know, infection control and PP associated with that, etc. And I understand that. Um, and we've had discussions about, you know, should the parent be asked to wear masks when they come in with the child? And I think that's very much out of the practice to do a risk assessment and think about it. Um, some practice has been quite innovative, actually, in trying to reduce the anxiety around giving the child um, vaccinations. Um, for example, there's a practice in um, Hedge End who um, have made PPE out of children's duvet covers. Um, so it's a bit sort of more, you know, user friendly, if you like, less informal. Less informal. Um, and for older children, um, you could have separate childhood vaccination clinics for the older child and have them at a time where there are not going to be any other people in the surgery. If you're not able to do it in your practice, it comes back to what Michelle and Carol were saying about cervical cytology, then obviously you'd refer them to a cold site. Okay, thanks, Helene. Um, just a couple of flu queries. Um, we heard something about the central supply of extra vaccines. There's a worry about if you buy too many and the uptake isn't very good. Have you heard any more about a central supply of extra vaccines? So I think this is around, there's been hints all the way along that the flu programme might be developed and bigger. Now, we don't know what that means any more than you do, whether there'll be different cohorts coming into it, whether it's going to be anybody and everybody can have the vaccine, not just the ones. They are the ones that we're being told might be centrally sourced not the ones that you've got under your DES that you have to do. So the, you know, the what the over 65s, the this, the that, you know, um, the pregnant women, all of that remains in the DES. What we understand is it could be, again, no detail at all at the moment, but we understand if it gets widened out, it might be under central um, supply. Okay. Another comment that people are already starting to plan quite boldly and successfully for what they want to do with the flu campaign next year. Sorry, Helena, come to you a minute. Um, what um, do we know when when there's going to be more advice with the flu campaign? Because at the moment, CCGs and practices want to just bat on and just do their own thing. But is there going to be any more central guidance, and when's it going to come out? What do you think, Lisa? 
I'm not sure. I'm not heard that there's going to be any more. Yeah, there is going to be, I think. I think there is going to be. I think this is the first letter. But when Michelle and I um, spoke to Nikki Osborne earlier in the week, there there was no indication of when that would come. I think there's some big issues to discuss. and I don't think they've got the answers yet. She did, I think, Michelle, say something about um, some of the, issue, the guides might be issued quite close to the wire in terms of the flu programme around the expanded groups, which I think uh, it's going to present issues in terms of um, supplies. Yeah. Right, moving on. So, um, Carol, are we still triaging all requests for GP appointments? Are we supposed to still be triaging? Um, personally, I think I think you'd be very wise to to continue. There are some, of course, where you could put them straight into clinic. So the, your childhood ends. If somebody's coming for a vaccination, you wouldn't need to triage that. If somebody's going to come for a cervical screen, you don't need to triage that. It's an obvious service that you're providing. I think it's anything outside of set clinics for set purposes. Yes, you would. I would personally say you still need to triage. But you, you, you know, your practices decide how you run. You decide what's best. It's 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 up to you what you do. But our advice at the moment is, unless it's for a set purpose, for a set clinic, for something that you've absolutely uh, you know, you know exactly what that patient's coming for, then otherwise, yes, triage. Thank you, Carol. Um, PPE, still an ongoing issue for us starting to get back to routine work. Supplies of PPE, any clues? Um, I mean, we're being told that there's sufficient. Um, whether it's getting out there, I don't know. And I do believe that this is something that CQC is looking at. Now, whether CQC is going to have an influence on the system wide, because of course they deal with dentists and everybody else as well. Um, but we know they're taking a particular interest. But at the moment, all I can tell you is that we've been told that there are sufficient supplies of everything. And if people haven't the supply got sufficient supplies, who do they go to if they haven't, Carol, or concerned about so If it's urgent, they go to their local health protection team. If it's if they've got three days worth, 72 hours worth, then they go through the supply line, the online portal. Lovely, thank you. And as you've mentioned CQC, a, a couple of CQC questions. Um, will there be advance notice of these phone calls, the supportive phone calls? I'll find out. I have no idea. Okay, and do you think they just these questions are just going to be to the registered manager, or will you be able to bring in the people in the room that you think would be best placed to answer the question? When I spoke to the regional manager about this last week, she said they would almost expect it to be the practice manager and or the registered manager or another GP. Um, they said that it would be one hour maximum. So I've said, I think you ought to make sure that the first question they ask, you take an hour to answer it um, because they have said it'd be an hour maximum. Um, again, they are going to send out some comms on it fairly shortly. I think we just have to wait and see what it says. What they did say is that they're sorry, and I should have said this earlier and you probably have some questions about this. What they did say is that they've got a data tool that they've been tweaking. I don't know what that means. Now, when I spoke to them, I said, look, your data tool in the past looked at feedback from practices, it, uh, from patients. It looked at quaff data. Um, it looked at various things like that. And I said to them, you do realize all this data is going to be incorrect. It's going to be out of date or um, it's not going to be worth its 
you know, salt anyway, because we've stopped doing some of the routine stuff. So the quaff data is going to be rubbish. Yet we're fully aware of that. We're using October 19 for quaff. And I said, and so our practice has moved on. Well, they can tell us that during the conversation. That was what we got. Um, they did say that if that data tool that comes through shows somebody is right at the top of the game and everything's absolutely hunky-dory, they may well not get a call. Um, if they've got concerns and they've been maybe whistleblowers or anything like that, they are the ones more likely to get the earlier calls. So I would sort of say if you've got a requires improvement, you might be in the earlier part than, than the later. That's the only way I can interpret what they said. Okay, and as we know more, obviously we'll let people know, won't we? Of course. Yeah. Okay, just one question about CQRS as that came up um, in your update, Carol. Um, Federation don't have access to CQRS for reporting, but they've been doing some COVID-19 activity. Will they be required to report that in any other way? No, um, not that I'm aware of. I mean, the CQRS update, presumably even if they've been doing work, if it affects a patient, then the patient should have the code put into their record. So it'll only be um, the SNOMED codes that will be extracted. It won't be anything more than that. Um, I think if there's any doubt, I can't think what they could be doing that you wouldn't put into a patient's record. But if there's any doubt, my, my advice would be to talk directly to NHS Digital. I have to say, um, I was on a webinar with them yesterday morning and it was very impressive okay. so I think they are actually um really working hard to, to get the digital side of things good okay um just going on to sort of the safe way to do smears we mentioned a protocol that we had and I know Helene's done some work on that is that where is that going to be at past Jordan I'll bring you in here to, on our website where will people be able to access that um, so shall I come in on here? We're yeah, just updating it and expanding it. It's um, We're sort of building on a protocol that somebody has sent us um, and we're just sort of expanding it to put additional information we think would be useful to practices. I've just shared that back with the original author of the document and I'm waiting for her permission to see if we can do that. And then once that's done, it'll go on our website. I, I don't think we've sort of decided where that will go, probably within our COVID page. Um, and Carol has already made a, a really good suggestion about it could be adapted for, for other activities that take place within general practice. Um, I don't know whether Carol wants to add to that, but so we, we will potentially be looking at that going forward. Yeah, and I, I believe, Louise, that uh, Nigel thinks it, it's something that practices are going to need very very speedily so he may well send it out with his um, GP futures paper um, update paper so I think I think it'll be out to practices this week okay and that will help because there's, there's talk also on the chat about um, implanons and coils and getting back to more routine work so I imagine what what we're going to do will help with all of that that's right that was the suggestion because this was written by a GP in Wiltshire um, for her practice but when we looked at shared it with us and when we looked at it um, I, or I looked at it and then spoke to Helene we felt it could be easily adapted for other services um, and that, that's what Helene's looking at at the moment. 
I think it looks like that's going to be really helpful. Thank you. Um, come to you, Michelle, just about risk assessments. Um, there's just a query about asthma. Um, it was originally thought of as being high risk. Now it doesn't seem to be considered high risk. Have you got any comments on asthma? Um, I think I thought asthma was in the high risk. So these are the people that would potentially receive flu vaccines. Um, and I thought they were part of the ones that needed to social distance for 12 weeks, but not shield. So they wouldn't have had a shielding letter, but they would have had to have taken extra precautions because of their asthma. Um, so I'm interested by that. And I think I saw another query around risk assessments that was asking about, does it include age, yes. sex and everything? Yes, it does. It takes all of the um, areas that need to be considered, including BAME and um, provides information around that. So it does take all of the areas that practices need to assess on. Okay, thank you, Michelle. Um, and just going back to, we're talking about bringing people in for implants and calls and more routine work. Do you suggest any sort of screening of the patients prior to them attending, even if it's a set clinic? Sorry, yes. it's kind of interesting yes. you should say that because one of the, one of the, um, the, the GP that Carol's talking about on part of it, she's talking about taking the temperature which, you know, is quite sensible, but it's then how that flows into, you know, when takes the temperature, who takes the temperature, how was this done um, as part of the screening? And obviously, you know, the advice would be that if the patient had any was symptomatic, then we would suggest that they don't come in and rebook at a different time. Thank you, Helen. Carol, did you want to add anything to that? No, I was just going to say, yes, you do need to do a, a modicum of triage. When the patient books the appointment they should be asked have they had a temperature of this that the other and also on and, and told please don't come if you develop any of these symptoms so maybe a checklist or something so that's so yes i'm saying the same as helene really okay lovely thank you and um, back to cqc um carol will they be bold enough to do this via conference call or video if some people are home working and they want to talk to a number of people who might not all be in the same place so, uh, like I say, I think they were talking purely about a phone call, but I'm sure if you offered Teams or Zoom or whatever else, they certainly um, they can do it because I've been doing it with them. OK, um, just going back to um, starting to begin business as usual, are the NHSE plans to release a further standard operating procedure to um, like COVID-19 that they have done for that about the introduction of business as usual? Are we expecting more NHSE guidance on that, Carol? I'm pretty sure we will do. I think we'll probably hear something tomorrow night on the NHS England um, uh, web, webinar, but we haven't been told anything specific yet. Is there anything else you'd like to, you'd like to add? The only thing I think we should add is that um, once we started these, Nigel got very jealous and decided that they, he had to do them for GPs as well. And I know some of you joined those as well. So Nigel has suggested that every other week we do a PM one and every other week we do a GP one. We're just going to leave that with you for now. We're happy to continue to do weekly for as long as you need it. But if you think it would be helpful to do them alternately so that you're not, it's not just another hour out of your lives um, listening to, to all of this stuff, that's fine. You know, just um, let Louise know your thoughts um, when you're ready to let her. 
Um, just finally, just one question has come in that I think will be very pertinent to quite a lot of people, probably. Um, parents are starting to ask if their child should return to school. The education department on the gov.uk website indicates the parents of clinically vulnerable children should seek medical advice. We have many with asthma and anticipate many queries. Should we expect this to be a parental decision or will the GPs be involved? OK, so we sent that. We knew about this. And we went straight to the GPC who have come back very strongly and said that is inappropriate. It's inappropriate for um, GPs to make that decision for parents. Parents need to talk to the school about what the school's putting in place so that they can decide between them how safe it is for their child to return. It's not a GP matter. So I'd just thank um, Michelle, Lisa and Carol, our director of primary care. Thank you, Helene, um, our nursing advisor, and Dawn Charkoff, who does an amazing job just keeping us all on the straight and narrow as our director's assistant. And Giselle, who's behind the scenes under that lovely horse photograph, just keeping us all, yeah, keeping the technology working. So thank you very much, everybody. It's been lovely to hear from you all, and we will see you this time next week. Thank you. Bye-bye. Wessex LMCs, supporting you and your practice.